Okay, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, thank you to Robbie and the uh, worship team for um, setting a platform for uh, God's presence amongst us this morning. Just a random um, sort of a fact. Has anyone noticed anything interesting about today's date? Um, it, sorry? Yeah, it's sort of, uh, it, you can sort of read it forwards, backwards, and it still comes out the same. So, 0202-2020. Um, apparently, the next one like this, where you can interchange the month and the day, is going to be the 12th of December, 2121. So, um, and another fact I heard on the radio this morning was that uh, it's a leap year this year. So, today is day 33, and there's 333 days to go. So, anyway, there's a few numbers for you. But lots of, um, lots of twos and lots of zeros, and... Uh, maybe it's not surprising then in the light of um, national and world events to be hearing things about the 2020 vision and the importance of seeing things clearly in the spiritual realm. And as we start off a new series about parables, uh, this feels quite pertinent. Uh, Jesus uses storytelling to challenge us to have ears to hear. And by hearing, he's effectively uh, talking about understanding and seeing things in the spiritual and heavenly realms. Um, a dictionary definition of a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. In the Greek, the word literally means throw alongside, so it's, there's a bit of a parallel there. Uh, you might say these are vivid word pictures drawn from everyday imagery and activities uh, designed to be memorable in some way to the audience and, and to reinforce the underlying message. So when we talk of parables, I tend to think of some of the longer stories Jesus told, such as the one we're going to look at today. Um, however, many of Jesus' shorter sayings also fit into this category. Uh, for example, when he talks about new wine needing to be uh, put in new wineskins. So I think Jesus is the consummate master of the parable. He uses them to powerful effect throughout his ministry, um, and it forms the basis of much of his teaching in the Gospels of Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke. Um, there was a strong oral tradition in Bible times. Levels of literacy would have been very low, and the parable uh, would have been a familiar form in, uh, to Jesus' uh, Jewish audience. And they're to be found in earlier Bible times as well, such as in the book of 2 Samuel, where Nathan the prophet confronts da uh, King David about his guilt in taking another man's wife. So that's just a very brief introduction to parables. I'd like for us to uh, focus on the parable of the lost son in Luke 15, um, although um, two lost sons might be more apt. Um, so instead of reading it, I've um, chosen an audio version uh, recorded by the actor David Suchet, otherwise known as Poirot. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll do the whole chapter as it provides a bit of um, context. And I just want to pray first, because I think listening to scripture, um, and, and I think the words will come up as well, just um, is a chance for us to soak in something of God's presence. So, Father, I just thank you for your presence with us through your Holy Spirit. And I pray that for each one of us, as we listen to this story or read it on the screen, I pray that something of your presence and your goodness and your kindness will become very evident to us. Lord, will you speak to each one of us in a very personal way this morning? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. 
Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. 
But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Sarah. It's great we've got a team of people on um, AV to, to, to support us this morning. So um, thank you very much to Sarah and um, Barry and to also Paul Utley who've um, joined us to, to help with um, that. Um, so, um, I love a, a lost and found story. Those of you who know me well will be aware that I've got a lifelong habit of losing things. Um, and as these parables show, there's a real joy in finding something again which is important to us. So, if I called my friends and neighbours around every time that I found something again, I'd be in perpetual party mode. So, um, on my wedding day, Nick, who's my best man, held up a sign like this one during his speech, get it the right way around, lost property, and said to Muriel, now that you've married Ian, you're going to need to know where this is. <laughs> in my wedding speech, I had to confess that I'd managed to lose my car keys in town the day before. So since then, I, things haven't exactly got worse, but haven't improved either. So to give you an idea, here's an inventory of lost and found things from the last six months or so. I've got my bag with me, so, so there are gloves, I'm always losing gloves. Uh, these ones were eventually recovered from Nick and Janet's house. Scarf left behind in town whilst on a course, uh, managed to uh, pick that up the following week. Um, it gets more serious now. Mobile phone. Oh. Any, you'll remember this one. <laughs> Um, this was uh, left in a local restaurant, and uh, any of you had to phone them up to see if, uh, if they got it, and we went back to pick it up. <laughs> and then, finally, a wallet. <laughs> Inclusive of driving licence, bank cards, cash, loyalty cards, etc. Um, left on a bus when I was out and about with uh, Joshua when he was over from Zambia. Um, thankfully, it did turn up at the lost property office uh, a week or so later, everything minus the cash, that is. <laughs> Um, but not before I'd cancelled and reordered the cards and paid £20 for a new driving licence. So there we go. And then there's the lost padlock key. And I have actually lost the key to this one. Have you ever had one of those days which starts off fine, but then everything starts to unravel? So my story goes a bit like this. Um, I'm at UE for, UWE for a pre-arranged meeting, only to find it's been cancelled and I've not been informed. So I hang around for a couple of hours to do a few things and decide to work from home for the rest of the day. So I go to collect my things from the staff locker, only to realise I haven't got the key for the padlock. So I re retrace my steps, no sign of it anywhere, so I'm a bit stuck now. So I know, I'll try the porter's office to see if they can help. They send the security guy down to have a look at the lock, which he does, and says, sorry, he doesn't have a master key and he can't help. Yes, he goes, I've had quite a morning already with locks, explaining he's been trying to assist somebody uh, who's in a predicament because uh, some random idiot has chained this person's bike to the bike stand. So anyway, he disappears, and happily I soon track someone else down who does have a master key. So I collect my things and head outside to cycle home. Only my bike is not where I thought I'd left it. Um, I'm a bit bemused now, and looking more closely, spot what looks distinctly like my padlock and, and uh, chain. Attached to it is a pink post-it note, and I see these words. Next time, lock up your own bike and not somebody else's. 
So I'm now in a downward spiral of complete confusion and growing horror that this is indeed uh, my padlock, which is now chained to someone else's bike. Uh, and my bike is nowhere to be seen. Um, what's worse is the additional realisation that this is the incident that the security guy was referring to earlier. <laughs> so, I've inadvertently locked up someone else's bike instead of my own, and I can only conclude that they've taken mine in recompense, <laughs> or else it's been stolen. And then I notice there's a bit more writing on the other side of the pink post-it note. Please collect your bike from security. So initially, I experience a huge sense of relief that my bike is safe, and I think, oh no, I was in there less than an hour ago <laughs> regarding the missing locker key, and now I'm going to have to go back and grovel profusely to retrieve my bike. So it's sort of becoming a bit of a comedy of errors now, isn't it? So, so there I am, sort of desperately rehearsing my lines on the way. It's a bit like the younger son in the story, isn't it? To, to try and get myself out of a hole. I knock on the door and open it. The security guy is sat there at his desk, and behind him, there's my bike against the back wall. So I feebly attempt an apology. I'm so sorry I'm not having a very good day with locks and keys. Fortunately, I don't have to explain any further. He sees my cycle gear, he joins up all the dots, and his face just lights up with a huge grin. Um, he thinks it's hilarious. It's you, he goes. <laughs> uh, he's probably relishing my acute embarrassment. So to be fair, He's very gracious, but explains that the woman had um, hung around in the hope that I would return, but eventually had to call for a taxi to get across town for another appointment. So, be warned, I look innocent enough, but I can cause serious <laughs> disruption. Not a happy outcome for the unfortunate victim of my crime, to whom I sincerely apologise and would gladly refund the cost of a taxi uh, if I could. Um, however, I expect the uh, security guy is still having fun talking about the day when he had to deal with uh, the consequences of a rogue member of staff creating havoc on campus with locks and keys. Um. <laughs> Good on you. <laughs> yeah. But the ir irony is this. I found myself listening to this guy's story in which I turned out to be a key player only I didn't realise it at the time. And the context for Jesus' parables in Luke 15 is a direct response to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and their dis disapproval of the fact that sinners and tax collectors were gathering around him and eating with him. Um, and Luke's gospel as a whole just takes us right into God's own heart in proclaiming Jesus as the Son of Man who came to seek and save what was lost, including those on the margins of society. And in doing so, he exposed the hypocrisy of the religious leaders and authorities who placed far greater emphasis on religious observance as a means to finding favour with God than on acting with compassion and mercy. So there are obvious parallels here. Older son, religious leaders, younger son, tax collectors and sinners. Jesus invites the religious leaders to recognise themselves in the story and reflect on their standing before God. In highlighting the value of the sheep and the coin in the preceding parables, Jesus reminds them of the infinitely greater worth of human beings uh, created in God's image. And from his teaching elsewhere, he clearly means children and women, not just men. So I want to highlight a few other points that stood out to me in this parable and hopefully leave you with something to ponder and take away. 
The account of the younger son emphasises how far from the familiarity of home and Jewish traditions he had strayed. And Jesus' audience would have got that straight away. Asking for his share of the inheritance would have been outrageous, utterly disrespectful, tantamount to wishing his father was dead. Um, In the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy stipulates that the firstborn son was entitled to receive a double portion as his inheritance. So in this case, with two sons, the older would get two-thirds, the younger one-third. And it's probable that the father would have had to sell land to comply with the younger son's request. And I won't go into that, but there's there's a whole raft of interesting information there as well, really. Um, The thought of being in a foreign land inhabited by Gentiles, i.e. non-Jews, and working amongst pigs as ritually unclean animals would have likely evoked reactions of disdain and abhorrence. So for this young man, his life is literally in ruins, his wealth squandered, famine in the land and nothing to eat. It's at his time of greatest need that he comes to his senses and decides to see if his father will allow him to come home. Not as a son, not even a servant, but as a hired labourer. This is the essence of repentance, a word used in the other two parables. Literally, a change of mindset and a way of thinking. And James was talking about this last week. Um, And I don't think he can have expected and anticipated his father's reaction And I I suspect neither did Jesus' audience. Uh, For a patriarch of the family to hitch up his robe and go running to his son and embrace him in that way was totally undignified. However, I just love that response, deeply rooted as it is in a longing and yearning for his lost son and in which there is so much compassion and mercy. Uh, The younger son has rehearsed his lines, but he can't even get them all out. His father simply can't wait to celebrate his return. Uh, And the ring, the robe, and the sandals are symbolically um, important. Only sons would have worn sandals, for example. They confer authority, status, and sonship, and complete restoration back into the family home where the slate is wiped clean. And it's as if he'd never been away. And then we contrast the younger son's remorse with the older son's narrative. Um, He should have known better, but he oozes resentment and anger towards his younger brother, whom he effectively disowns, and towards his father for choosing to welcome him home. And it's as if he believes his father now owes him for the years that he's been slave. He has slaved and toiled. Um, I deserve more than this. I've earned my right to it. That son of yours is a waste of space who should get what's coming to him. After all, it's actually going to cost the older, brother, uh, the older son if his younger brother is welcomed back home because the younger son will now be eligible for another third of the orig- residual estate which would have otherwise been the older son's inheritance. And incidentally, um, Timothy Keller, in his book, The Prodigal God, that's a a good read, suggests it would have been the responsibility of the firstborn son to go to search for his younger brother on his father's behalf and to bring him home. And that this parable points to Jesus as the one who takes that role on. And I, I really like that thought, Jesus as our older brother, being the one who paid the ultimate price of his life to bring each one of us safe and sound home to the Father. 
But let's see what the father does now. He goes out and pleads with the older son to join the party. Uh, this is remarkable. If this story is primarily directed towards the religious people of Jesus' day, who had lost their way in legalism and institutionalized religion, it's also a shining evidence of God's love for them and a clear invitation to be part of what he's doing in making himself known to every nation on earth and to live amongst them forever. That's what the party is all about. So at first glance, I'm inclined to feel that this parable has a slightly unsatisfactory ending and that all the loose ends are not all neatly tied up. On the other hand, it's an excellent literary uh, device as he gets us thinking. The essence of a parable is to grapple with those loose ends and unspoken questions and to try and make sense of them with the help of the Holy Spirit. And we can only speculate how the story might have developed from there or how Jesus' audience would have responded. The older son has the opportunity to join the party. Will he repent, set aside his resentment and welcome his brother home? On the outside, he appears to be doing all the right things, but without a radical transformation on the inside, he's every bit as lost as his younger brother was. And the younger son also has to make some choices. Will he fully embrace the grace and mercy that his father extends to him, lift his head high and lift, live like a son again? It would be easy for him to hold on to a debilitating sense of guilt and shame when he simply doesn't need to. And that's the essence of what I want to bring this morning. Neither of the two sons fully understood how much their father loved them and how highly he thought of them. Maybe the younger son did by the end. So my question is this, and be honest with yourselves. What do you think Father God thinks of you? How do you think he sees you? And just sort of track with me a bit here. I want to suggest that if what we think God thinks about us lines up with what he actually thinks about us, then that has profound implications for the way that we live out our lives. Knowing that we're truly loved by God, chosen by him before the beginning of creation, and created to do amazing things, frees us up to love him in a more intimate way, to love ourselves in the right way and embrace our God-given identity, and then to love and serve others in the way that Jesus did. In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul exhorts us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I found it really helpful to identify key truths from Scripture which tell me who I am as a follower of Jesus and because of what he has done for us. And as I remind myself regularly of these truths, I notice they start to replace old patterns of thinking and influence the way that I see myself and the world around me. And out of that, I'm discovering a deeper experience of the Father heart of God that's been pivotal in the context of finding hope 
and purpose in, in life again in the five years since uh, Muriel, my wife, died. So, yeah, God is truly awesome and amazing, and I'm more than happy to talk to you afterwards about my story at any other time. But, yeah, just to know that God, in, in, the, in the difficult times and the challenging times, that God is there with us and for us. That's been my experience, um, and I know it can be your experience too if you're facing um, tough times. And I could say more, but um, I feel that I just want to pray now to wrap this up. Um, and I sense there's a few areas that the Holy Spirit um, is, is drawing me to. Um, and Nick, I know you um, feel that there's something you have from God. Maybe you'd like to give that. And then, um, then I'll pray. And um, this morning, um, I just felt coming to church. I felt that uh, sometimes we may know God's love in different ways. So th- I know this is going to be messy, but that's fine. So this oil covers the potato completely. It wraps it round completely. And I think sometimes we know God's love is all around us, and it's clinging to that, and we can sense it on the outside. Sometimes we may not actually even have that because what's happened is before we put that, that letting that oil come onto us is that sometimes there's things that are being shameful or we feel guilty and we can't even receive something that God wants to give us. So I think God wants to have a, a time that we can let go of these guilts and shames that we have, that means we're unable to receive anything of God's love. But this God's, this oil is around the outside. I think what God wants to draw people in is to see God filling us on the inside. Now, we may be only just a few drops in there, We may actually be empty, but actually God wants to continually show us how much he loves us, and I'm doing this on purpose, to go everywhere, not near electricity. (laughs) And the reason I'm doing that is it's spilling over, and as it spills over, my daughter's already shaking her head at me, as it spills over, other people are going to see something of God's love. And we just continually need to know God loves us intimately and overflowing and non-stop. Even when this jug runs out, there's more and more and more. And even if we don't sense it or feel it, the fact is God's love is pouring out of us all the time. And I, I haven't been to Niagara Falls when it's frozen I don't know if anybody has here. Okay, there's one hand there. 
But I'm guessing that you hear a, a gentle roar and water is still going even though you don't see it or feel the spray. God's love is there all the... I love this. It's a mess and something happens and God is moving. Thank you. Back on? Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, it's like what Nick's just said, it can be messy sometimes, but it's messy in a very, very, uh, very good way. So, yeah, so I, I'd just like to pray and just sort of um, highlight a few areas which I feel God has been kind of drawing to my attention and to use that as a bit of prayer as we kind of uh, conclude the talk and then we'll go back into worship response and breaking of bread, so... So I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will come amongst us now in that overflow that Nick um, described to us. And in doing so, reveal the heart of God, both as a father and as a mother. Uh, For some people, it's about encountering a mother's love. God is just as much able to kind of reveal himself with a mother heart as a father heart. And incidentally, the Holy Spirit, it talks about the Holy Spirit, how it fell in, in, in Acts. And it's the same word used there as the way that the Father fell upon his Son in an embrace in the story you've just spoken about. And I think that's a beautiful image of the person of the Holy Spirit. It's the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit coming, sort of wrapping his arms around us, falling upon us in embrace and giving us a kiss. And I pray that the way that we see ourselves and what God thinks of us would line up with what God, what you think of us, God. And I thank you that, uh, Father God, you you love us just as much as you love your Son and you love the Holy Spirit. And similarly, that Jesus, you love us as much as you love the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, you love us as much as you love the Father and the Son. And if you've never encountered God before, in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I just encourage you to reach out to him and um, turn to him and come home to him. And he's, he's right here and he will always respond where there's an open door. Um, he respects our free will, um, but he knows exactly where we're at exactly how to meet with us. And if you need to return to the Father from far away, I pray that you will encounter him this morning. You will sort of look to him and see that he's coming running to meet you and just to hold you in his arms. And if you relate in some way to the attitudes of the older son, there's an invitation to come to the party again and celebrate once more, what God is doing in the lives of others. And I think that's about returning to our first love. That was what Mike brought to us in his talk a couple of weeks ago. And I pray that um, by your spirit, God, we might be able to return to you and just know you as our first love. And just lastly, when thinking about this talk, um, I I felt that God reminded me of words spoken and prayed probably over 20 years or more 
about prodigals returning home. So naturally, I just felt really encouraged when uh, Diane um, spoke about that and felt that um, that was being impressed upon her as something that God wanted to do. Um, I'm not sure um, what I think of the word prodigal, but um, I sense that he's saying not to give up hope for your sons and daughters, whether sort of biological or adopted, who've walked away from faith or have lost their passion for following Jesus. So I just want to pray for, for, for those people that are on our minds now that we have a concern for. And there may be other family members as well who've known God, walked with God, and then uh, perhaps have walked away. Father, I pray that by your spirit you'll give us a sense of hope once again. Um, these stories just remind us that you're the one that goes out and searches for us. Um, goes to the ends of the earth if need be to look for us. And I pray that we might have the real joy of seeing um, people that are close and important to us coming back to you. So, thank you very much.